And this morning, we're going to spend some time learning about faith and how the city of God is a place of faith. As God welcomes us into his place for us, that place is a place where we trust in things that we cannot see. And that thing that we cannot see with physical eyes, we know with our spiritual hearts, it is the love and the sustaining grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to spend some time learning about this morning. So I encourage you, open your Bibles up, Hebrews chapter 11. And if you know your scriptures, maybe you're learning scriptures and you're not sure, Hebrews chapter 11 is also uh, often called, um, in sort of the scope of the text, it's called the pantheon of faith sort of a whole group of people that the writer of Hebrews gives to us who are people of faith and how they live out faith and live into faith. And this morning, we want to spend some time concentrating on one family. Um, And in fact, Hebrews 11 spends a lot of time with this person, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, because he is such a great person of faith. So we want to spend some time this morning learning from Abraham, learning from God's work in Abraham's life, uh, what faith can mean to us in our walk with Jesus. As we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the family of God that we truly get to uh, spend time together um, loving you, being loved by you, and loving each other. I praise you for these people. And they all come to this place with their own unique experience of life this week. I know that there are some who are here who are full of joy. It is summertime. Vacations are coming. Kids are home. The pools are open. There's so much to enjoy about this time of year. And Father, we come with that joy. But we also know, Lord, that there are those who come to this place without joy. They come with burden. They come with fear, with brokenness. They come with their own burdens of addiction or the challenges of sin or the consequence of another's sin in their life. And they sit here in significant pain, asking big questions. Is Christ real? Does God care for me? Is this a place uh, where I can experience the love of Jesus Christ? I pray, Father, that you touch all of our hearts, that you meet us through the power of your word, remind us through the story of Abraham and Sarah so many thousands of years ago, their story and how it reminds us to truly believe to trust even when things look challenging or dark or hard, more than in trusting you, that in believing that you are faithful to your promises, that, Lord, we can live into the fullness of the life that you have given for us. I pray, Father, all these things through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, um, two of my older children, uh, my, my two older children have, have played uh, 
I played sports in high school. Katie was a soccer player. Cameron plays every sport under the sun. Um, she's playing, uh, last year she played volleyball, she played basketball, she played softball. She's debated whether or not to play tennis. She's thinking actually there, there's word of a water polo team possibly at ACA. And she's like, oh, I want to do that. She's just that kind of kid. Well, if you're going to have a kid who's involved in sports, then to go see their games in high school, you're going to travel a little bit. And so we've been to various campuses here in the Inland Empire uh, to see our kids play, Katie on the soccer field, Cameron in the gym. And um, one campus in particular, um, it's, it's a hard place to go to. ACA's big rival, Ontario Christian School. I try to say that with a sort of element of evil in my voice. No, it's a good place. I, I know we, we know lots of people there. Many of you have a lot of connections there. It's a, it's a good school. Lots of good stuff there. But when you go to watch a game at Ontario Christian, number one, their gym is way too small and way too hot. But when you're watching a game, will you, Kristen and I sit together, we watch our, we watch, right now we're watching Cameron obviously play in different sports or um, over the years, different, different things that she's doing. And of course you're cheering on your kid, go Cameron, great shot Cameron, hustle, hustle, work hard. The problem though at OC is that that's how you begin. Over time something happens that affects how you cheer. And it's not what you expect. It's not that I get angry or hate people. or It's that I smell something. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking Ontario. You're thinking cows and dairies and all that other sort of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. See, the problem is that Ontario Christian's campus is literally 100 yards away from In-N-Out Burger. So you start watching the game, and you're, go Cameron, nice job Cameron, hustle Cameron. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, double, double. Because <laughs> of course, you know, if you appreciate in and out like I do, you know that smell, and it just sort of permeates your soul, right? I know there are even some of you right now who are thinking in your brain, he's talking about in and out blah, 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 I'm trying to do this now. And I know where we're going for lunch after the service today. You're watching the game. Nice shot, Cameron. Oh, animal style fries. Great defense, kiddo. Chocolate shake. And inevitably, many, many times, our family has caught that scent. And when we leave, the first stop we make is hitting in and out grabbing some food to go or eating it there and enjoying the blessing that in and out is to our lives. In our text this morning, we have a man who has caught the scent. Abraham is a man who has heard God speak, has been given promises, what we even call covenants, covenants that God has given to him. And because he's caught that scent, over time it shapes and forms everything about him. No longer is he just a herdsman, which he was. Had great flocks of sheep and goats. You can see the numbers of his animals and his livestock. He is a man who begins to catch the scent of God's promises in his life. And that shapes and forms him 
in some pretty, pretty big ways. Let's begin by reading this morning from Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you don't know anything about the story of Abraham, if you don't know who he is in sort of this pantheon of of God's people, he is the cornerstone in many ways. He is where it all begins. Yes, of course, we know if we look at Genesis 1 through 3, we see the beginning of humanity through the birth, through the creation of Adam. But Abraham is really where the story of God's people begins. Abraham is the person, the lynch pin on which God begins to build his nation, his, what he eventually calls his chosen people. Abraham is that one who sort of begins this whole process. And he's known, we know from our text, as a man of faith. But the thing is, faith can be a simple inward thing. It can be one of those things where, yes, we believe something. How many of you have faith in gravity? Of course you do. If you didn't, you wouldn't have sat onto a pew because without gravity, sitting on a pew doesn't work. You would just float around. That would make a really interesting worship service, by the way. But we have faith in things. It's that inward thought, that inward thing. But then there is this thing that the text describes about Abraham, which is key to faith. Because he's a man of obedience. Outward obedience of the inner truth. He's not just one of those ethereal people. Ethereal being just in his mind, having the right thoughts. I'm going to be a man of faith. He actually puts it into practice by living into faith. He does the things that God calls him to do. He is called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I wonder what that even looks like. It's a place. He was called out of that, and 
he went. But if you look at the text of of that whole story, and we're going to go back there, it's from Genesis 12 when the call begins, this whole story of Abraham starts with promises, yes, but they're not very specific. They were these big, great promises, but they weren't exactly clear. It wasn't exactly clear what was going to happen. What does it say there in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3? It says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is really the the beginning of the covenant of God. If we look at that text, it's the first invasion of God into Abraham's life with these promises. But those promises aren't really very clear. We don't hear the specifics. And yet, if you go back to that Genesis 12 text... Even without specifics about what will happen. God, please tell me where I'm going. God, please tell me when I'm going to have a kid. God, please tell me. You say I'm going to be a blessing. Tell me how I'm going to bless them. Am I going to lead great nations? Am I going to be an encouragement to many others? Am I going to uh, be... uh, Am I going to be financially blessed so that I can bless others? Please help me understand. God doesn't do any of that for Abraham. And what do we see though? He goes. He gets up. And he moves. Even without specifics. Now think about that for you and me. I know the last time that I moved any great distance was here to Redlands from Michigan. And if you would have just said to me, come out here, it'll be great. Come out here, it's going to be fun. Come out here, God will do work in us. That would be great advertising for me as a pastor to come and be your pastor. However, I can tell you, I had lists. All the specifics. Good school for the kids. Church with people our kids can be friends with. People that... Kristen and I can be friends with. It's in Southern California. That's a holy place compared to where we were. All these different things are on our list. We're looking in our lives for the specifics. Into the vagueness that God has given to Abraham. Now we see the promise. You will receive land. It's not just here, it's elsewhere in the text of Genesis. The problem that we see in the life of Abraham is he never ever got possession. That possession of one spot it was a graveyard. His wife Sarah, Machpelah near Mamre, Hebron, and he got a cave, with a field and a cave. And that's the only part of the promised land. So God had made promises. You will get land. And at the end of his life, Abraham is thinking, you can imagine, this is it. This is my promised land. I'm sure he wasn't thinking that. But the reality of God's promise not showing up in its fullness in Abraham's life, but maybe to come. Think about that for us. 
Think about the things that you are waiting for and longing for. You are longing for a restored marriage, a restored family. You're longing for work or you're longing for something in your life to come to its fullness and see the blessing of God doing this great thing and and God blessing you with something that you long for. The challenge that we often have, though, is that what we receive is not what we expect, right? We don't get the things that we're anticipating or in our plan, the right thing that we need is not in what God gives us. Instead, he gives us something else. Or maybe he doesn't give us something now. Maybe it's not even for us. Maybe it's for someone else. Maybe it's for someone in our family. Maybe it's for another generation. I, I, I think of that for our country. I long for our country to be restored. I pray for this nation. I pray, pray for this I pray for this world to see shalom of God in Jesus Christ, the peace that passes all understanding. I pray and long for that time when we don't know what an IED is or what a sniper does. When we don't know, we don't have to have great battlefield medicine in order to save people's limbs or lives. I long for that day, but I sort of know. Unless Christ comes and returns in my lifetime, it's not going to happen. But it will happen someday. And Abraham knew that although God had not fulfilled this promised land covenant with him in his lifetime, that God was Faithful, He could be believed and trusted. God never let him down. The third thing for us to think about Abraham is that God, in his lifetime, we just talked about that with the promised land, but Abraham never stopped anticipating them. What do we read there in Hebrews 11, verse 16? They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, one founded on who God is, who Christ is, on the restored order of creation. And Abraham never stopped longing for that. Yes, he, he, he wasn't going to receive it in his lifetime, but that was his focus. That was the scent, just like a hamburger at a basketball game. That was the scent that he chased. And it took over him. It took all of him over. He lived by faith over and over again. How do we know that? Well, look what happened with his son, Isaac, right? If you know that story, you know what God asked of Abraham. He said, Abraham, go take your son. Your one and only son. I promised him to you and I gave him to you. And now I want you to sacrifice him to me. What does Abraham do? I'm sure he had internal arguments in his heart that night. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to raise that knife as my son is tied down on the altar that I might see him bleed and ultimately die just so I might please God. But I am God's servant. And God is called. So I will go. 
Abraham allowed faith to govern him so much that he was willing to give up that thing which was most valuable to him. Imagine, how many, okay, Dale and Glenda, you're right here, perfect. Because I know, I know you love this. This is your favorite thing in the whole world. You guys went to Tulare this past week, right? Graduation of a grandson, good stuff. Let's God give God praise, graduation of a grandson. It's good stuff. And you, you, went, you went there to celebrate what God had done in his life. Now, imagine if when they went away this week, you, you didn't go with them, I didn't go with them, but when they came back, Glenda had an announcement to make. Guess what? I'm pregnant. How we doing, Glenda? How we doing, Dale? A little freaked out, right? They just went to celebrate the high school graduation of a grandson. They are beyond childbearing years. And I say that with great love. You know the love that I have for you. But that's where you are in life. And yet God had given to Abraham... I don't know when it was. We don't know what age Abraham and Sarah were, but we knew, knew that they were great with years. And if Dale was a grandfather, no, if Dale was a new father for the first time at this time in his life, and then God asked of him, I have given you this son that you have longed for your whole life. Now give him back to me with blood. Can you imagine how hard that would be? 40 years, 50, 60 years, Abraham had longed for a son. Sarah had longed for a child. Suddenly God gives that baby to them and then asks for it back. And, and you've got to wonder, okay, why was that? Why did God make Abraham wait? Well, here's the thing. If Glenda were to get pregnant, how many of you would attest that to some sort of miracle? How many of you would say that's a curse? But if it happened, oh, I'm going to get it later, aren't I, Glenda? <laughs> but if it happened, and we said something like it was a, a miracle, God gave them a miracle, they themselves would be a testimony to God's power. That's why God did what he did with Abraham and Sarah. Imagine these are a nomadic people. You see the stories of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah are moving around constantly. They're moving from place to place with their flocks. And they are in one place one month. They move to the next place the next month or the next year. They settle here for a little while and then they move over here. Imagine that they had been in this spot five years ago. And they went away. They're in their 60s or 70s. And while they were gone, they had their child. And they came back. Imagine what the people of that community would think about who God is. How amazingly faithful, how amazingly powerful that a person great with years, beyond childbearing age, could have a child. It was a testimony. Abraham and Sarah's faith was constantly a testimony to the world around them, a world that didn't know God. What do we read from Hebrews? Foreigners and strangers in the land. And in this foreign and strange land, God's faithfulness shows up through the birth of a child and the 
faithfulness of Abraham and Sarah. And constantly the people had to wonder, this God that Abraham and Sarah talk about, can he be real? Well, we see a child. That's pretty real. It's pretty amazing and pretty powerful. And that speaks to God's call to us. That as we live out this life of faith that he has given to us in Jesus Christ, in the world around us, that there are people who look at us and see. See the power of the God that we believe in in Jesus Christ. The power of grace and love in our lives. That's the purpose. We are foreigners and strangers in this world. Some of you are more strange than others. And all of us are testimonies to God's faithfulness, to his promises in our life. And as we live out those promises, we put God's love, what do we say here? On display to the world that they might see. Because we, like Abraham, are called to never stop anticipating what he has ahead for for us. Abraham is called to hope in things he will never get himself. And what he does not receive may not even fit his expectation. What a challenging life he would have to live. And yet he did. Now, this may not sound like great marketing for Jesus. If you say to somebody, when you believe in Christ, you have a God of promise, but his promises may not be for you. They may be for generations after you. May, they may not get fulfilled in your life for decades, for sure, maybe even years, maybe even not in this lifetime, maybe only in the life to come. And when he does answer the promises that he has made to you in your life, it's not going to look like what you anticipate it will. That's not great marketing. However, it is truly the power of God in us because I can tell you this. If God had given me everything that I thought I needed, my life wouldn't look as beautiful as it is. And it's not beautiful because of who I am. It's beautiful because of who he is. And when God is faithful in our lives, he shapes and forms us in ways that we can't think of or anticipate. And he does it because he knows what's best for us. It's one of the reasons sometimes why diagnoses come into our lives. It's one of the reasons why suffering sometimes comes into our lives. It's one of the reasons why brokenness sometimes comes into our lives. And those things are things that stink. And we don't want them. And we don't believe that they should be here. Many of them are not our fault. Many of them are things that we just, we wish. God, take it away. And yet God shapes and forms us through those things in such a way that what comes out in our lives at the other end of that journey is so much more beautiful how many of you have experienced cancer in your life maybe directly maybe indirectly how many of you can testify that at the other end of that journey of cancer or maybe you're still in it but you see God doing things that he could never do any other way we see that And it's because God loves us so much he wants you and I to be greater than what we are now 
He wanted Abraham to be greater than what he was when he was in Ur. He wanted Sarah to be greater than what she was when she didn't have children. He wanted to shape and form them in a way which showed the world the glory of God. And he does that in us too. But the key thing to begin that process is faith. Believing. Believing that God's promises in your life are real. Believing that Christ has done a great work to redeem you by his grace, his work on the cross. Believing that although you cannot touch nor see those tangible things that would give you the evidence that a scientific mind is looking for, that you will believe nonetheless because God always keeps his promises. And when we trust in his promise, and as Abraham did, live in obedience to his promises, amazing things happen in our lives. Because like Abraham, we are called into our great adventure. But there are unknowns ahead. Lots of them. We don't know how things are going to go. I can't stand up here and promise you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, your life will be perfect. It will all be ice cream and roses. In fact, I have to promise you quite the opposite. Scripture attests over and over again that the life of walking with Jesus is one of taking up what? A cross. You're not taking up a fluffy pillow. You're not taking up a nice, comfortable life. You're not picking up one of those things that is easy to carry. You are picking up an instrument of torture, an instrument of execution, meant to be the hardest death that was known to humanity at the time. You are called to take that up, and in taking it up, you are expressing what Abraham did. Faith. Faith that that cross, carrying it in your life, the burden of following Jesus when you do right, when no one else is around you, when you trust in him, even when it doesn't make sense on this earth, when you do those things that he calls you to do, when every checklist that you might go through says do otherwise, when you believe that he can do the miracle of healing or restoration or transformation in your life that you have been trying on your own for years to fix and it's never quite worked, but when you trust in him, when you have that faith and you live into that faith through obedience, God shows up and transformation comes and what is left in this beautiful adventure that we have in this life is amazing, much greater than it could ever be before. I've told you before many times about our, our thing at Lagonia School. We are involved in Lagonia's campus. We have about 20 to 25 volunteers on Lagonia's campus quite regularly. Um, when we started that, it really was a conversation between two people. Some of you know that story too. Ginger Mulder, Principal Yidey over at Lagonia School. We had that conversation just saying, what can happen, Lord? 
What might occur? And we had our ideas. We had our plans. I sat with Principal Yadi and I said, what about this? And she said, no. And I said, what about this? She said, no. And then she said, what about this? And I said, no. And we were trying to figure out, okay, what's this going to look like? What's going to happen next? How is this going to go? Well, now we're five years in. And many of you know, great thing. A couple months ago, they received a gold ribbon um, designation as a school based on their relationship with us. I want you to just think about that for a moment. That's a public school campus, Christian church, working together, and they're holding it up and saying, look at how awesome this is. It's a good story, right? I just found out that it got better. Gold ribbon is a good thing. It's a regional, regional, uh, designation, one of those things for Southern California. I met with uh, one of the board members from Redlands Unified School District a week and a half ago because we were talking about something else. God might be opening up a door for us over there to have a full-time volunteer on campus. There's some things that are going on as things progress. I'll make sure you know what's happening so you can pray for it and, and, and uh, think about how God might be calling you to be involved. But then before we even got to that conversation, he goes, Scott, I got to tell you something. That gold ribbon award, that's, that's, that's good because it's regional. But it can get better. It's called the Golden Bell Award. Golden Bell is a state designation. The relationship that the River Church has with Lagonia School has been submitted to Sacramento Department of Education for the purpose of considering Lagonia School for a Golden Bell Statewide Designation Award. Listen to me. Public school, Christian church, and God doing something because of a conversation that happened between two people. Two people started it. All of a sudden we got one, two, three. Now 20 volunteers on campus. And now God is using what we simply did in faith. God opened up a door. We will be obedient and move forward with that and see where he takes this. God opens up a door. And now in Sacramento, that holy place that we know it all is, is hearing about the relationship between a Christian church that is simply sought to be obedient to the calling of Christ, to live out the faith that God has given us that he always keeps his promises and they're going to be discussing in the hallowed holy halls of the education uh, department up there what's God doing that's what faith does five years ago if you were to say someone in Sacramento is going to be talking about this in five years I would have said you're bat crazy but God didn't Because God knew. And God is always faithful when we seek to be obedient to him. Like Abraham, we live in the promises of God in Christ. We see from John 15, if you keep my commandments, obedience through faith, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. That's God's promise. And God always, always, always keeps his promises. He simply calls us to trust. Christ has promised you life. Trust that. The cross has promised you grace. Believe that. 
the empty tomb has promised you eternity. Live into that. If you're not, if that's something you're still struggling with, wondering about, after this service, I will be standing up here. Some elders will be up here. We're going to serve communion to you in a little bit. We're going to be up here, and you can come and say, how do I get access to the promises of God in my life? How do I experience his grace and his love so that I can believe and I can see him at work doing this great thing that I can't even imagine in our future, in my future? Let's pray. God, you are good. You're faithful. You never, ever, ever give up on us. We can trust that what you have said you will do. And Lord, we need that in our lives. We need to be reminded of that over and over again so that we can live into that faith. We can trust. And when we do, Lord, where you call, we go. We are obedient. We want to be obedient. Move in us, in our hearts, through Jesus, that our obedience might grow, that our trust in you might grow. As we walk through our our diagnosis, as we walk through the challenges of a workplace, as we walk through family conflict, as we walk through the burdens of this election season, as we think about the conflict in this world that we live in, Father, may we trust in you. May we obey where you call us to go, obey what you call us to do. And as we do that, Lord, we can see you doing things in us and the world around us that are just beautiful. We long for more of that beauty. In Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to celebrate the table. And as we celebrate the table, this is an act of faith. I know what you're thinking. You're going, what are we celebrating? This ought to be interesting. We're bringing the elements in from the back. We, this is a thing of faith. This is where you and I exhibit trust in God. You're going to receive bread, right? You're going to receive juice. You're going to take them in. And certainly that can be one of those rote activities. We just take this bread that we have and we put it in our mouths. And, oh, nice thing. You know, I got a couple calories at church. Or we do what we do in faith here. See, Scripture says that when we do this, we do this anticipating what is to come in eternity. When one day God hosts us himself at his table. And that when we exhibit the trust that what we are doing here gives him glory. What we are doing here is something that we do in obedience. He says, do this in remembrance of me. When we do that in obedience, that he does something in us. Remember, God is always faithful to his promises. And when he is faithful to his promises and he says, you believe and trust in me and I will do work in you, when you and I exhibit faith here this morning, even at the table, God is doing work in us. Trust that. Believe in that. We're going to be setting up station here, station at the back of that row, station here, station at the back of the row. You're going to have the, uh, one of the elders be holding a loaf. The other will be holding a bowl. Simply tear a piece of bread off of the loaf, dip it in the bowl. You can take the elements right where you stand here. But as you do so, I want, this, I want to challenge us 
to make this an exercise of faith. Faith in what you are doing and faith in what God's people together are doing. You're going to see faces. You're going to see families. You're going to see people that you know and you know their stories. And you and I can be praying that God makes himself known in their lives too. That is an expression of faith. And God always answers faith. I'm going to ask the elders to get into their places. And when they do, just when you're comfortable. There's four stations. It should be fairly easy for you to get access to them. Um, Just go together uh, with your family. Remember, we are a place where we believe in God's promises, not just for us as adults, but also for our children. And those children who are part of the covenant of God through baptism are welcome to partake under their parents' leadership. Come, exercise faith. Believe what Christ has done in you. Trust that he always keeps his promises, that he might be glorified more and more in who you are. Please, let's share the table.